Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Now, as we look at this section, I want to, I want to suggest something to you that I had not seen for a long time. This whole section is told from the point of view of the disciples. Or at least it's these three that are emphasized. He takes with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah appeared to them. You know, Peter makes his statement, and the bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice out of the cloud that says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him, Who's he telling to listen to him? He's telling them. And, you know, then Jesus in verse 7 came to them, touched them, and said. So this whole episode is really focusing on what happens to them. Some people have thought that the transfiguration was mostly for Jesus' benefit. To maybe kind of bolster him and give him kind of a you know, more confidence, more reassurance or whatever as he's facing the cross. And that'd be a really popular view. But I agree with that. I think he does not. And I think this was for them. This was giving them evidence and was teaching them. And so the whole point is what they witness. How do they see Jesus? Yeah, glowing. You know, I mean, he's he shines through. It's like his face is it's like the sun. His clothes are white as light. He's just he's just he's brilliant. He's radiant. And here's Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. You know, what did Moses and Elijah mean to first century Jews? Well, yeah, but more than even the law and the prophets. What, what was Moses, besides being the lawgiver, what was Moses' other huge claim to fame? Talking to God? That too, yeah. It's hard to say one claim to fame. I'm thinking of another thing. Leading the people? Leading the people? Seeing God. Seeing God? Did you say the exodus? No. I said leaving the people. But you didn't say where or how. The exodus out of Egypt. Absolutely. He what? was their liberator. He was their deliverer. <laughs> you were just referring when they were wandering around, right? <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. You meant he in led general, them out of Egypt. Well, yeah. I wasn't thinking that But I think what he did in leading them out of Egypt. Wow. I mean, they were slaves. They were nothing. Oh, yeah, you need to go. Don't say anything too interesting without me. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. So I think, you know, Moses, as their great liberator and deliverer, 
And then the one up who went up on the mountain and saw the Lord and gave them their whole law and constitution and everything. Wow, Moses is talking to Jesus. And then Elijah, what did Elijah mean to them? What would have been the big events in the life of Elijah to them? Not dying. Yeah, being taken up in the glorious chariot right up to heaven. Wow. I bet, you know, we don't know of anybody else taken up like that. I mean, I realize Enoch was taken to be with the Lord, but we don't know how he was taken. But that whole event with Elijah was amazing. What was the other huge events in Elijah's life that would have they would have thought about? Yeah, Mark Carmel. Is that what you're thinking about? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. And defying Ahab and Jezebel <laughs> and those hundreds of prophets of Baal and just boldly and courageously withstanding them one on 850 or however many you decide there was from that account. Wow. He was kind of like, I see him as kind of like the George Washington of the prophets. You know, he was kind of the the leader of that whole prophetic movement. I understand there were prophets before that, certainly Samuel, even Moses in some senses. But, but Elijah just really led into a whole era of that prophetic revelation. And uh, there with Moses and Elijah. So, Peter, who uh, often speaks, <laughs> he suggested doing what? Building a tabernacle or tent for each one of them. Yes. Peter illustrates the fact that many people with nothing to say say it anyway. <laughs> but, but you can see why he'd say that. Well, let's just set up tabernacles right here, one for each of you. Let's preserve the moment and the voice and the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I think the voice is saying, you've got the number of tabernacles wrong. You know, he said three because he put Jesus up on the same level with Moses and Elijah. He thought Jesus ought to get a tabernacle too. (laughs) God said, no, not three. And no, not two. Only one. You know, when they looked again, Jesus was alone. He is greater than the Law and the Prophets, than Moses and Elijah. They received an advanced view of his coming glory and coming greatness and coming authority. I think that was amazing. I think that's really showing them who Jesus really is, what he really is, and how they ought to see him. Comments and thoughts? Caleb. It's interesting how Jesus' face shines um, and in Revelation whenever his face shines. Yes. And did you notice all the parallels to Moses going up on the mountain? For one thing, it was on a mountain. For another thing, there was the cloud. For another thing, there was the voice of God. For for another thing, Moses' face shone. Now, he just reflected God's glory. Jesus radiated his own inner glory. For another thing, the people around him uh, were afraid. Um, And so forth and so on. There's a few more parallels, but that, that gets the high points. I think this is another mountain experience like Moses had had on Mount Sinai. 
I think we're intended to see the glory of Jesus revealed on the mountain. You know, but like I say, it's His glory radiating. Could it possibly, um, in verse 2 when it's saying about how His white clothes, um, another parallel would be with the priests, and definitely a lesser degree, but how they would come in the first of the day and with like these white clothes, and they would, they were, they would look really good in these clothes that were fancy and all, and then, then they would start um, sacrificing these people, and, they, and by the end they'd be really, really gross. Well, um, Christ, he was showing how how he was in the white clothes. He was really great, and then he took all of our sins upon him, and then on the cross he was in a gross position because he had our sins on him. Could that parallel be? Or I think that's probably stretching it. Yeah, I think it's right. probably stretching it. Sometimes we import ideas from other passages that are interesting ideas, but probably not in the context here. I think here it's just his brilliance, his glory, his radiance, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think we're seeing his his true nature. Yeah. Why why do this for those three? Well, good question. Those three were the inner three. Why were they the only ones to see Jairus' daughter raised? Why were they the only ones to go into the inner part of the garden with Jesus? You know, and things like that. I'm not sure, but Jesus seemed to reveal some things, especially just to the three. And then he told him not to say Well, you know why he said that. That's in the next section we didn't read, but yeah, he's going to say that. But can you imagine what they'd have said if they'd have told anything now? Hard telling how they would have, you know, garbled that and, you know, they'd have probably had him, you know, with a golden crown on and a throne in Jerusalem before you know it. Just, the whole thing just seems strange. Yeah, cool. Okay, all right, look. Could it be why he took he let them see the transfiguration was because John was the one that lived the longest and James was the first one to die and then Peter was the main preacher. Who knows? Maybe. I mean, I don't really know. But it's not, it's not unreasonable that there would be just some special bond there, I think. What what does he want them to take away from them? Well, I think what Peter took away from it in Second Peter 1. Okay. You know, that he was an eyewitness of his majesty. He really saw the true glory of Jesus. And what he says in Second Peter 1 is, just to start where he started, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying we saw his true glory and we heard that voice when we were with him on the holy mountain. So I think this is evidence of who Jesus really was. Jesus had all that glory veiled in his humanity. You know, he took a very humble form. But here's one time when God let his skin become transparent. And you could just see his true glory in physical, visible form. Because I can't, I mean, Jesus wouldn't do that without a point. Yeah. That, that would be my take on the point. But they probably didn't take that all away right then. 
probably developed over time. Yeah, I don't think they would have understood exactly. I mean, I think I think that's why Jesus says not to tell. <laughs> it's going to have to take a little bit more revelation, the Spirit with them, and one thing or another before they really put this in proper perspective to be able to reveal it in the right sense. All right, well, we'll stop there. And, uh, Since we're dropping like Yeah, bad. If we let, lose anybody else, what'll happen? <laughs> And I'll just take you guys home because I can do that. I can if you need me to. I don't think it'll be a problem.